I really enjoy interviewing and getting to know people for different types of jobs. And many times someone who has spent a lot of years in the same company who have read my CV they always ask me, how did you manage and what was this experience for you, right? And it's not the best way or the only way, but I try to pass on a lot of learnings and moments where things didn't go great because I think that's the best way you can help others is by really sharing the good moments, the celebration, but also the tough ones and, and the not so great ones because that's where you really pull experiences and learning that will benefit other people. Great companies are all about the people. Good people become great leaders, mentors for work and life. Welcome to Learnings from Leaders, the P&G Alumni Podcast. I'm Roman Segel, Recovering Marketer. And I'm Ida Abdelkani, a Chief Catalyzer. Roman and I both got our start at P&G, the Procter & Gamble company, where we had the opportunity to work with some amazing people. And as you may know, many leaders across industries got their start at P&G. In this series, through conversations with fellow PNG alums, we hope to go deeper with the leaders you already know but want to know more about. It's kind of like bringing a microphone to a cup of coffee. On today's show, we're talking to PNG alumni leader Yolanda Talamo, Chief People Officer at the Heineken Company. It was a great conversation about looking at setbacks and challenges as learning opportunities, staying positive, being thoughtful and reflective and not impulsive about key decisions, and reminding ourselves that many things in life are not a one-way door. But first, hey, Ida, did you know that the PNG Alumni Network has some really big news? Is it about the 2021 conference, November 12th and 13th? Don't you think everyone has had enough of our podcast ads at the front of every episode? I mean, I've already registered like five times. Well, I'd hope so, because that means our ingenious marketing strategy is working. After all, the PNG Alumni Global Conference is a great way to hear from some big brand leaders and network with some of the industry's best and brightest. But while the PNG Alumni Global Conference is going to be pretty sweet, Ida, there's something even more awesome about it. Does it involve fame and fortune? Well, at least one of those. Go on. As with every conference, the PNG Alumni Network wants to recognize fantastic leaders under 40. Oh, why does this sound so familiar? Well, maybe because we were both recognized for the same honor way back when in 2017. <laughs> and look at us now. Exactly. We are entirely too cool for school, but sadly, we are no longer under 40 anymore. Hey, 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 speak for yourself, old man. Wait a minute. Is this another ingenious attempt for the PNG Alumni Network to engage with younger alums out there doing amazing things in their careers and their communities? Who are the ad wizards that came up with that one? <laughs> well, something's working because, like I said before, look at us now. And come on, we all know what all the cool kids want. Enriching webinars, podcasts with lots of learnings from leaders, and recognizing the youngest rising talent in the PNG alumni community with under 40 recognition. Exactly, old chum. But Roman, what's the catch? Fame and fortune can't be that easy as nominating someone or even yourself for the PNG Alumni Network's Leaders Under 40 program. Ida, have I got news for you. It is that easy. All folks have to do is head to pgalums.com slash 40. That's pgalums.com slash 40 and nominate any under 40 alums they think should be recognized. Self-nominations are even welcome because let's face it, all folks like us don't know how too many folks under 40 or how to use the internet. Speak for yourself, Roman. I'm hip, young, cool, and have my finger on the pulse of what the young folks want with their Snapchats and Tic Tacs. Uh, I know. It's Tic Tac. That's what I said. Tic Tac. I'm hip, young, and cool, remember? <laughs> Whatever makes you feel better, dude. Nominations are open till September 30th, so head to pgalums.com slash 40. That's pgalums.com slash 40 and nominate your favorite under 40 PG alumni that you know. The best of the best leaders under 40 will be recognized at the PNG Alumni Global Conference in November. Fame and or fortune, not guaranteed, but thousands of people will hear about how awesome you are and you'll make all the greats like John Pepper, A.G. Lafley, David Taylor, and even Brack and Daryl Brown. Be sure to head on over to pgalums.com slash 40. That's pgalums.com slash 40 to nominate some of the amazing under 40 alums you know. And remember, self-nominations are welcome because we know all those under 40s are listening to this podcast right now. So stop tic-tacking already and head to pgalums.com slash 40 to get your nomination in. The deadline is September 30th. Who writes this stuff? <laughs> now back to our conversation with Yolanda Talamo. It was a great conversation about looking at setbacks and challenges as learning opportunities, staying positive, being thoughtful and reflective, and not impulsive about key decisions, and reminding ourselves that many things in life are not a one-way door. Here's a quick bio. Yolanda was born in Venezuela, speaks two languages, and also holds American and Italian citizenships. She started her career in marketing and consumer research as an intern at Procter & Gamble and went on to work 18 years at P&G as an HR director in Latin America and North America. 
She has more than 20 years experience working in senior HR roles with global businesses and has a proven track record of transforming organizations, developing executives and human resource organizations, and delivering high-performing teams with profitable business results. Appointed Chief People Officer in 2021, Yolanda joined Heineken in 2017 as Senior Vice President, Human Resources, America's Region. During the pandemic, she also took on the role of America's Region People and Safety Task Force Leader, assuming responsibility for all crisis management and related plans during COVID-19. Prior to Heineken, Yolanda was Senior Vice President, Human Resources, LATAM Region, Canada, and Hub Miami at SAB Miller. She serves on several boards both in the U.S. and around the world and is seen as a positive and trusted force for change. What I love about our conversation is Yolanda's positivity. At every turn, Yolanda takes a refreshing approach of reflecting, soliciting feedback, and being thoughtful about a decision before jumping in. I think many of us can relate to Yolanda's experiences of creating a tribe and learning that it's okay to ask for help. There are many people willing to support but they may not know we can use the help if we don't ask. Her leadership of the America's Region People and Safety Task Force at Heineken, where she's focused on the emotional well-being of employees and also on diversity, equity, and inclusion, demonstrate how one can both lead during challenging times and think about what opportunities for improvement the crisis presents. Her experiences with setbacks and how she's continued to use them as fuel for her next steps and not lost time or sunk costs are refreshing. So let's dive in. We hope you'll enjoy our conversation with Yolanda Talamo. Yolanda, welcome to the podcast. It's really great to have you here. Thank you, Ida. I am very, very excited to be here. Well, first, let's give our listeners a little bit about your professional story. Yolanda was born in Venezuela, speaks two languages, and also holds American and Italian citizenships. She started her career in marketing and consumer research as an intern at Procter & Gamble and went on to work 18 years at P&G as an HR director in Latin America and North America. She has more than 20 years experience working in senior HR roles with global businesses and has a proven track record of transforming organizations, developing executives, and human resource organizations, and delivering high-performing teams with profitable business results. Appointed Chief People Officer in 2021, Yolanda joined Heineken in 2017 as Senior Vice President, Human Resources, America's Region. During the pandemic, she also took on the role of America's Region People and Safety Task Force Leader, assuming responsibility for all crisis management and related plans during COVID-19. Prior to Heineken, Yolanda was Senior Vice President, Human Resources, LATAM Region, Canada, and Hub Miami at SAB Miller. She serves on several boards, both in the U.S. and around the world, and is seen as a positive and trusted force for change. Yolanda, there is so much I want to chat with you about today. But first, who were you before the beginning of this amazing career journey? Who was I? I would say Ida, Venezuelan girl in a family of four kids. I was the second oldest in my family, always at home, always present. I would say a happy childhood, pretty much. Parents present, dad always working in jobs that he loved. So it turned out to be a very big inspiration for me. My mom also worked, but she had a part-time job. So she would always pick us up at school and bring us back home and spend the rest of the day with us. So I would say, yeah, I mean, I was the type of child that was playing on the street and riding our bikes and having fun and playing with the neighbors, a lot of outdoor activity, not maybe as today where things have changed in Venezuela tremendously. But back then, we had a super normal life. We did hiking, we walked the dogs, and we were just playing outside and spending a lot of time just doing what kids do. Yolanda, what was a family value that you took away from your childhood that's affected you as you've gone through your career? Yeah, I would say work ethics. I've always saw and fun and enjoyment. And let me explain why. My dad was always a super hard worker, but he loved what he did. And I always thought it shouldn't be a but. You are a hard worker and you really enjoy what you do. And he still loves very much what he does. And I find that 
a huge inspiration. And I and I think about this every day. I really love what I do. And I remember when he still at his age, he talks about with so much passion about an article that he read or the work that he's doing or some additional research that he's doing. So that has been a huge, a huge inspiration. And then of course, worth ethics, right? I mean, he always was already in his car driving to the office at six in the morning or 6.30 in the morning. I never understood why, how can someone go so early to the office, but he did that. And then he was home early and it was a very different lifestyle. So it was a combination of someone who worked extremely hard, enjoyed what he did and still spent time with us. So I think I've taken a lot of those lessons in my own life later on. And are you a morning person? Are you like your dad waking up at 6 a.m. to go in? I am very much a morning person and I've always been a morning person. I wake up very, very early and I am behind my computer very early just because I really enjoy the fresh start of the morning with no meetings and calls to get things done. So later on, I realized that I kind of understand why he did it and I take a huge advantage of it. I, I really get a lot, a lot of things done that way. And then, of course, I try to make time in the afternoons to do other things, right? So many people ask me, you're working since so early. Do you work out? Do you? And I say, yeah, yeah, I work out in the afternoons. I take a bit more free time in the afternoon, but I am definitely an early, early morning person. That's amazing. I've tried myself to adapt to that many times, but my body is just wired the opposite way. I'm a night person, so it's very hard for me <laughs> to get my brain working in the mornings. <laughs> Even when I was in university, there was a moment where I just had to stop studying. Even if there was something that I didn't know extremely well for a test the next day, I would prefer to leave it like that and wake up super early to make sure that I just can go through things again. There's something about there's a time at night where I just need to disconnect and it doesn't matter how early I need to wake up the next day. I guess that's how we're wired in yeah, different ways. Yeah. There's some things we can't change, I've found. <laughs> some things are just natural like that. Well, Yolanda, you mentioned the fun and enjoyment that you learned from your father and how that's affected you. It sounds like you've had a lot of fun in your own career and you've certainly had a ton of business success. But in your career, did you ever have anything not quite work out the way that you thought it would? Yes, of course. I mean, I think I think all of our careers somehow are filled also with setbacks, right? Or things that you plan and don't go don't go the way you expected them or you work super hard on a project and then the project is canceled or you reshape it in a different way and you feel like, "Oh, all that effort went nowhere. So yes, absolutely. I have had challenges and setbacks. If I get to think about maybe an example, I guess, where I, where I learned and maybe the biggest lesson or example for me of a setback was actually when I left P&G. So I decided to leave P&G after 18 years and a half to just test New Horizons. It was a bit of a family decision as well. We wanted to, to move closer to our family, not return to Venezuela, but be in a place that would be closer to Caracas. And Florida ended up being that place. And I found a job in a family-owned company. And I thought everything in paper and everything during the conversations sounded amazing, right? Sounded like there was a ton of challenges and a lot of things to do. And I was super, super excited. Even after I started, I thought, wow, there's a lot of things I can do. I have a ton of experience. I've learned so much in my years in P&G. And I was just bring all those learnings and experiences and pour them into this new, this new role for this company. But I quickly learned that the level of structure and maybe depth that I had worked with in PNG was very, very different. And it's something that I had not taken the right time to think about before I joined this company, right? And you would think like, why did you do that? Many people told me afterward that when you leave a company like PNG, where you have worked for so many years, normally that next job for many people it doesn't work out. Honestly, I don't I don't have any statistics or data. I know it didn't work out for me. And it was a bit like a setback because I never thought that that would be the case. I put so much energy and so much enthusiasm into planning and thinking and designing and creating and proposing things. But family companies, and it's not a critique, they're just different, right? They're less structured. There's a bit more of going with the flow, good plans and strong plans in place, but very different to what I was used to. So it was more on me. And that time I said, I, re I really need to think this better and I need to go to a place that will 
provide a little bit more of that structure, that similarity of the experience that I bring matrix companies, global companies with similar challenges. And that's what I did. So it was a bit of a setback. But honestly, when I look back now, I never consider it a mistake. I just considered it as these things happen. It was a learning experience because I did learn a lot in, the, in those few months. And after that, I went to Savmiller, which was a whole new and different industry, working on beer, getting to understand that business and those markets. And the happiest thing of that role is that I went back to Latin America, which is a region that I really, really loved and enjoy very much working. Even when I was in Procter & Gamble, I had responsibilities over Latin America from my North America role. But my formative years in the company happened in Latin America. So in the end, things happened in a way that they were very, very beneficial at the end. And I got to learn a few lessons along the way. Well, it's amazing how you took a very tough time and were able to find the learning and the opportunity in that so that it wasn't a setback, as you said, and it truly became a learning experience for you on your path forward. As you think about that inflection point in your life, when you were leaving P&G, you went to this other company, because I think a lot of us and a lot of our listeners, you know, there's a lot of times where decisions set us on one path. When you think about this now in hindsight, what do you think that other path might have been or how might that alternate path have made your life different? I think, Ida, that I had a couple of choices, right? And it was not an easy decision. Many people ask me why I left and if it was the right decision. I still believe it was the right decision. I was ready to do something different. It was a very difficult decision. I still remember having conversations with my mentors and thinking this through, even with leaders of the company, because it was not something I was doing in the hiding, right? I mean, after 18 years in a company, it really felt like family, even as a marriage. You know, you feel like you're just walking away from what you know and the people who truly know you. And I really loved my career at PNG. But we as a family wanted to drive some change in, in our lives. And as much as that decision was very difficult, I thought it was the right thing to do. So I think that when, when, when you mentioned inflection points, I could have stayed, right? And I'm sure it would have been an amazing rest of years in the company because I was never, ever bored. When people say 18 years in one place, oh my God, how could you? And some of the younger generations, my daughters will ask me, how can you stay in one place for so long? And I said, I was never bored. Every single assignment posed a big challenge, a learning. We moved. I changed locations within Cincinnati many times and, and that whole felt like moves, right? So I think in the end, it was the right thing to do I could have chosen other companies that were a bit more traditional. Would that have given me what I was looking for? Maybe not. They definitely would not have placed me in Florida, which is what we wanted as a family. So from that point, it was more about a little bit location. And these are the sacrifices that you sometimes have to make to make sure that you can, of course, carry on your career, but at the same time that it meets the needs of the family. So yeah, I think that many times we face these forks in the road type of decisions, right? And, and I think that are these moments where you really have to balance and understand what's truly important, what comes first, what things you can deprioritize in certain moments of your life and what needs to be reprioritized in a different moment. Absolutely. And do you think, Yolanda, as you think about this, because it sounds like you have a very balanced approach to how you think about all of these different inflection points, right? And weighing a lot of different decisions and variables to come up with your path forward. Do you feel like you learned that from experiences along the way, or maybe even people along the way, if you had any mentors or leaders that you admired that have helped you develop this way of kind of problem solving and thinking about some of these forks in the road, as you say? Yeah, I think it came from a combination of things, Ida. I think absolutely experience, right? But when you are in one place for so long, you don't realize how much you have learned. It sounds silly, right? It sounds like what I'm saying is, is, is maybe a little bit plain. But the reality is that one of the advices that I got from, from other people were, you will only realize how much you have learned, how much you have grown when you leave and you start using and applying all this wealth and richness of, of learnings and experiences and lessons in different places and you see the impact. And I think that's exactly what happened. So 
I did complement my decision-making process with a lot of advice. I do leverage the people around me all the time. And this can be family, this can be friends, this can be mentors, this can be even co-workers and people that I trust. And I have to say that in Procter & Gamble, after having spent so many years, there were a lot of people who I could just go to, to have these conversations, right? Just to have an open discussion about what if and what would it look like? And even for people who have left after many, many years for different reasons, right? People leave for different reasons. The lessons learned, their experiences and their advice were super valuable. So it was really a combination of many things, but I think it's quite telling a little bit of how I do things. I do take time to reflect and time to to think. I'm not too much of the impulsive type of person who who makes decisions, you know, on on the go or on the run, especially the most important ones, right? So that's why that example that I mentioned before about that setback was was quite impacting because I had taken a lot of time to think and I kept thinking, what did I miss, right? But then then that's why it became a learning experience in the end. I love that. Do you think that that has made you able to also mentor others in your life? Those experiences and how you've been able to merge all of these different learnings. And as you said, taking that time to reflect and not being impulsive. Has that helped you, do you think, be a better mentor to others? Yes, it it, it has. I think it helped me in a few ways. On one hand, mentor other people, absolutely help other people navigate through difficult moments, conflictive moments of making hard decisions on careers or or companies or or even moments within within a company. But even also when I'm doing recruiting, when I'm in recruitment activities, I really still love and enjoy interviewing and, and getting to know people for for different types of jobs. And many times when I am interviewing someone who has spent a lot of years in the same company who have read my CV, I always get this question and they ask me, but how did you manage and what was this experience for you, right? So I even find myself kind of mentoring or just sharing, by sharing my experience, I think I somehow help just provide a view, right? This is how it worked for me. This is how I did it. And it surely is not the best way or the only way, but it is. it was my way and it's what, what, what worked for me. So I too pass on and I try to pass on a lot of learnings and experiences and moments where things didn't go great. Because I think that's the best way you can, you can help others or mentor others is by really sharing the good, the happy moments, the celebration, but also the tough ones and, and, and the not so great ones, because that's where you really pull, I think, experiences and learning that will benefit other people. So well said. We were chatting before we started recording here about the pandemic and how much that's affected everyone's lives and our own lives in terms of being able to see family. And so as you were talking about this, I went back to that. I was thinking about how much you've probably had to mentor individuals within your organization, not only as the chief people officer, but also in your role as leading people in safety in the task force during COVID-19. Can you tell us a little bit more about that in terms of how you've really been able to lead during this crisis when there's heightened emotions, so many things we're all experiencing for the first time? I mean, there's no playbook, right? And there's nothing for us to look back to to say, how do I handle this and what do I do? So can you tell us a little bit about how you've approached this and maybe one or two tips from your learning that's been really helpful in this journey? Sure, Aida. I have to say that it's not been easy. This has been maybe one of the most difficult things that I think all of us have dealt with. And specifically in my case, when I took the responsibility of leading the task force, think of it as something that you can lead a task force, right? But this was completely unknown and there was no way to predict what would happen with COVID, what turns it would present, what type of severity and, and level of crisis it would bring to us. And that's what made it a very challenging task for all of us, wherever everyone is, that we're dealing with a similar situation. But one of the things that I started with was we have two objectives. On one hand, we need to safe we need to provide a safety environment for our employees. So safety first. And that was the one of the most important messages. And then business continuity. So what I did is that I had I divided the task force in two work streams. One was all about what we called people and health. 
And that covered everything from providing safety environments, safety equipment, PPE, understanding people's needs. Should we let them home? Should we send them back? Everything around office usage and closure and cleanness and of all the all the spaces we were health because, of course, a crisis is a health crisis, right? That impacts everything else. So we had doctors lined up, our global doctors, and we had experts on safety equipment, and we met on a weekly basis. Actually, we started meeting twice a week, and I still remember these calls were at six in the morning, twice a week, and we would spend two, three hours just assessing what was going on in the world because it was a global task force. So we were going region by region, understanding where and how the pandemic was hitting faster and to pull the learnings from one region to the other as quickly as we could, because we didn't have a lot of time to create new things or come up with new ideas. So there was a lot of searching, reapplying, speaking to other companies. What was amazing to me is how quickly my colleagues in other companies and in human resources, people had roles we're all together sharing what we were doing, sharing our questions and our doubts and our uncertainty. And that was amazing help. So that was on the whole space of people and health. And then we put up a team very quickly of business continuity. And for here, we brought our supply chain leaders, finance leaders, commercial leaders, sales, because you can imagine we have in Heineken more than 165 breweries in the world, right? And can we completely stop the business? What do we do with our sales reps who have to be out there? These people were mostly exposed. While it was easy to keep the admin buildings completely closed and people working from home, it was very difficult to manage those employees who were actually on the street, risking their safety and their health in the sake of the business, right? So we really went overboard in trying to to protect them at the same time that we protected as much as we could the continuity of the business around the world and, and in my case was with the America. So it was a huge task. I would say that last year was a determining moment in order to preserve the business, preserve our people. And now what I see now, Ida, it's a very different situation. Now with my global hat, we still monitor what's happening in the world. We start seeing, for instance, a third wave in Brazil. We see country lockdowns again in Singapore. Yesterday, I got news that was it Nigeria. You start seeing what's happening in the world and everybody is a bit in a different place. So we are completely now not out of the woods. But people are also very tired, right? It's it's been working from home is is it's not ideal. Having flexibility is ideal, but the long hours and time away from family and friends is taking a toll on our people as well. So just maybe my last comment is that what what we're doing now is that we're shifting efforts more into how to preserve our, our people's mental health and well-being in times where people are exhausted and they want to come back to the office and we still cannot open the offices because it's not extremely safe. In times where social isolation is critical, where people are tired to have meetings via Zoom or Teams and do everything through a screen, right? So these are these are moments for people leaders to really step up and, and see how can I show show my organization that we do care, that we truly, truly care, and that we, we stand up for our values and for what and who we are? So that summarizes a little bit of the journey. I, I hope that was clear. But it's been, yeah, it's been a very tough over a year type of quick interventions, thinking, thinking super fast, things changing, not even by the week. Last year, they were changing by the day. So every day we had to rush with a new decision, a change in our in our plans. So yeah, that was all about crisis management in, in the Americas region, but then also it evolved to be at a global level. Yeah, and it resonates so much with me. I mean, as a business owner myself, I remember telling my team as we were trying to plan at the beginning of the pandemic, we were just trying to plan a week out. And to your point, I ended up saying, you know what, I think we can only plan day by day. At this point, Mm -hmm. we can't plan so far out. And that's really tough. As you mentioned, as a leader, so many people are looking to you for answers. And there's the emotional toll that we cannot underestimate that has to be managed as well. Yolanda, how has this impacted you and your own ability to manage work and life? Because I know we've been talking about you as a leader and your role at Heineken and how you've been a leader for others. Flipping it a little bit more to the personal side, do you have any advice for our listeners in terms of what you've learned yourself and being able to balance all of this as a mother, as 
a leader in a global organization. And then on top of that, we have this pandemic with the huge emotional toll. And again, no playbook. But how have you navigated all of this? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. It's It hasn't been easy because in the middle of the pandemic, I was appointed people chief officer of, of Heineken and a lot, and that triggered a big personal transition as well, right? So as I'm kind of navigating in my America's role, leading a bit of that that side of the crisis. At the same time, I'm appointed to this new role and I start my own business transition with my predecessor. And I had to spend a lot of time in Amsterdam already with the pandemic going on. Luckily, I could travel, of course, taking taking a lot of, of safety measures and, and care. But then, of course, leaving my husband and, and my daughters behind and spending at times two weeks and two more weeks and maybe four weeks and then and then back and forth. And then, of course, it becomes like, OK, this is here. We have to move, but we can't find a house because you can't look for houses because the market is closed because they don't accept visits. You can't carry on with the move because the movers cannot get into the house. So you you completely enter a world with a lot of things that are on hold or changing as, as we speak. And it becomes super difficult to plan, right? At the same time, my daughters, who I have to say that it, it was a bit of a blessing that they were both back home with us during the university's closure and jobs are done from home. It was a blessing to have both of my daughters in Miami. So it also became a bit like another farewell from my husband and I to them because we had to leave to Amsterdam and they stayed behind in the U.S. So it's been a lot of change, Ida, I have to say. How we're coping, I think as a family, we're coping in general quite well, even though we are kind of navigating the changes, right? And adjusting through the time difference and adjusting to my work schedule, which is a lot, right? I work long hours. So I just try to prioritize things. I don't think I have a recipe that I can share. Many things work for me. As I mentioned before, I start super early in the morning. That helps me plan my day. I do, I do absolutely respect. And this is, I have to thank my husband that every afternoon he comes and he pulls me from the computer and he says, it's time to go for a walk. Every afternoon we do that. And while we do that, we call the girls who are in the U.S. and then we speak to them. And when they're having lunch, they call us and then whomever is available will take the phone and we have a video call. So, and lastly, through support system. And I think that this is something that has worked for me my entire career is get a lot of of help from what I used to call when I was in Cincinnati. I don't know why, maybe it's a word that many people use, my support system, which was really made out of so many people, Ida, my friends, my neighbors, my family, other parents from school, everybody was willing to, to jump in and help. So a big lesson from those years when my daughters were younger is that people are willing to help. You just need to ask, right? I learned the lesson of don't hesitate, to ask for help because you will be surprised of how much people will be willing and happy to help and to support, especially in difficult times. So that was one of my biggest lessons. And I keep doing that. I still ask for help when I need help in any stage of life. It's at work, it's a family, it's on a personal transition. So that's something that has worked very well for me. Yolanda, I wish I had met you 10 years ago. I could have used that <laughs> advice. <laughs> I call what you say is the support system. I've started in recent years referring to that as my tribe, where I've proactively gone out and asked for the support, as you've said. So many people, I think, are willing to help, but we have to be willing to ask, right? We have to be willing to let people know what kind of help we need and we're exactly. looking for. And now a word from our sponsor the 2021 PNG Alumni Global Conference. This November 12th and 13th, live from PNG's global headquarters in Cincinnati and broadcast around the world in real time. To celebrate its 20th anniversary, the PNG Alumni Network will once again bring together some of the world's leading business thinkers and doers for insightful conversation among thousands of PNG alumni and global PNG leaders. We're inviting you, our Learnings from Leader loyal listener, to be part of this amazing PNG Alumni Global event. Come here from some of the most dynamic thinkers and successful business leaders in the world. Visit conference.pgalums.com to learn more. Use the special code PODCAST 
you'll receive $150 off your registration. You'll hear from PNG CEO David Taylor, PNG CMO Mark Pritchard, as well as big alumni names like AG Lapley, Paul Pullman, and Ben Odor. Also joining the stage will be Katie Couric, Ariana Huffington, and YouTube CEO Susan Wojcicki, as well as PNG alumni leaders like GSK President Brian McNamara, Women's MLS Commissioner Lisa Baird, and many more to be announced. Look, I'm not sure if you've ever been to a PNG alumni global conference, but it is truly one of the best conferences I've ever been to. Not only is it a chance to reconnect with many old friends and hear some amazing learnings from leaders in a non-podcast format, but it's also a chance to network and connect with a lot of new alumni that you might not already know. The global conference is actually how I personally got introduced to the PNG alumni network. So in a way, this podcast wouldn't even exist without the global conferences. I cannot recommend enough that you make plans for November 12th and 13th to attend the PNG alumni global conference. So what are you waiting for? Visit conference.pgalums.com to learn more and use the special code podcast to receive $150 off your registration. And we hope to see you at the PNG alumni network's next global conference this November 12th and 13th. And now back to our show. You mentioned your daughters on this journey, the blessing of being able to actually have them home for a little bit in Miami during all of this. What would you say your daughters have learned from you? That's a great question because many times I ask them when they were growing up, they both would say, we do not want to have a job like yours. And I was very (laughs) worried. I was like, oh my gosh, am I being a terrible role model? I would say, why? And my youngest daughter at the time would say, mom, because all you do is talk to people. I mean, is that your work? Every time I ask you what you're doing, you say, I'm in a meeting or I was in a meeting. So what is a meeting? What happens in a meeting, right? So It's funny how their views, of course, and I have two grown-up daughters, Claudia, who is 24, Alexandra is is 20, and of course, now they're grown-ups and they're studying and work and everything. And what I think they would say is, on one hand, resilience, right? Because I think it takes a lot of hard work and hours and juggle many things. And I think that from resilience to, to admiration... I would say this is something they they would say. I also think I've passed on a little bit of what I learned from my parents, which is work ethics. I am extremely responsible. It's just something that just runs in my veins, right? And it doesn't mean that work is always first, but if I if I commit to something, I will deliver no matter what. I will just I will just make it happen and I work very hard for that to happen. So it comes with commitment, right? And responsibility. And I believe they would say that, but they will all also say that I also prioritize fun and they know that I love what I do. So when they see that kind of inspiration and fun and they see me in a meeting, because now, of course, they see me every time in a meeting now at home and they hear me laughing, they're like, mom, were you working or what? And I said, yes, I was working. Somebody, we were just having fun, just talking about things. So it's also the balance of ensure that you're having fun, ensure that you can still have always time and space for a good laugh. So I think that's what they would say. I love that. I'm a big fan of laughter. I'm a laughter yoga instructor. I love that your your kids are able to see that now as you've been working from home. To that end, since you're having some fun at work and in your meetings, is there something that you're particularly excited about these days? Yes. Well, Ida, it's a great question. I am excited about many things, but because there's a lot of newness to my role, right? I assumed this role in on January 1st. So I can still say that I'm, that I'm a bit in learning mode and discovery mode, and at the same time, running with, with many, many things. But one thing that I am particularly excited about, I will say two. One is the work we're doing on inclusion and diversity. That is really top, not just on my agenda, that wouldn't be fair to say that it is on top of our shared agenda in the company. It's important we are revamping, relaunching our strategy, relaunching our action plan, aligning the role of the leaders behind it, what we want to do to drive inclusiveness, why this is important. So also spending some time on the full understanding of why this is important for us at Heineken. What will we get? Why will we be better as a result, right? And what are the things that we need to do better and change that we may not been have doing in the past? So I've done a few things already that I find quite exciting and I'll just share with you a couple. So, so one thing that I did recently, maybe three, four weeks ago, was that we had a meeting with 150 top leaders globally in the company. And I asked them before coming together to this meeting to hold listening and dialogue sessions 
with their teams. I said, try to at least hold one or two before you come to this meeting of 150 people. And I gave them some guidance, right? Like, ask questions, don't tell, just make sure you listen, but ask questions about what is getting in the way of us realizing our full potential when it comes to inclusion and diversity? And then what ideas and what can we start doing that we haven't done? Two very simple questions. I was so happy to see everybody went on and did this. And I started to receive, I didn't ask them to send me anything. Many started to send emails and reports back and bullet points with what they heard. A lot of tough things, right? A lot of great things, but also a lot of things like, whoa, we, we do have to to drive some change here. So we came, I brought them all back to, to the session. We divided the group in 20 teams. We did all of this virtually, right? And then they had the brief sessions and then we brought the teams back together to share. And we did it at full speed. There was a lot of sharing and there was a ton of insights and actions that we were able to pull from it. And what I told them is I am coming back with a global action plan that will stem from a few strategic priorities in this in this space. And I will build this from the feedback and the input you have shared here today. And that moment is next week, Ida. So next Wednesday, I have a global town hall that I'm going to host with our CEO. And we will share. We will just share. These are our three strategic priorities. And these are the actions we are making a big commitment on. And on top of that, we just went public with some some very challenging, I would say, ambitions around what we want to accomplish in this space to bring much more diversity to the company and, and really step away from declaring intent, which I think many companies do and we have done in the past, to move into some very firm and deliberate commitment. So that keeps me extremely inspired and excited. It's big work. It's fun work. It's the right thing to do. It plays to our company values. So it's absolutely fun. And the next one has to do with what I mentioned before. It's all about this notion of caring and driving well-being and mental health to our people. And I think this has become super important in these days specifically. But then I'm trying to do a bit of a deeper dive into what should a leader do? What is the role of the leader when we talk about promoting well-being and promoting and showing that we care and being appreciative and being yourself and, and being a bit more vulnerable in front of the organization? And it's not easy. It's, it's something that excites me a lot. We are building the plans. We have advanced quite a bit. And, and I'm shaping this in the form of a journey, of a leadership journey. So a lot of passion and excitement in, in that space as well. Right now is a time where I think diversity, equity, and inclusion is more important than ever. And so for you to be working on that and helping lead that work, I think speaks volumes to your organization and to you as a leader. So excited to to keep watching what you do next, Yolanda. You know, we talked about some exciting and fun things. I would love for our listeners to learn a little bit more about you, fun, rapid fire questions for things that people might not know about you. Let's start with... What's a guilty pleasure of yours? A guilty pleasure? That sounds like <laughs> something I eat a lot and I shouldn't eat. Or <laughs> a guilty pleasure is chocolate. But many people know that about me because I am so explicit. Come the after lunch or come the late hours of the day when we were in the office, of course, you would see me walking around and stealing chocolate, but I would leave notes. So if you had a chocolate on your desk and I was like a little jar of chocolate, I would just steal one and I would leave you a note. Hey, Ida, I took a chocolate. I will I will bring you. Ch and I brought chocolates back to everybody. But <laughs> there was something about not having chocolates of myself because then I have very little self-control. Maybe that is what is a bit of the guilty pleasure is that when it comes to chocolate and having a full bag over my desk, I would just eat it all. So I said, I'm not going to have it. I'm just going to walk around the office and and, and find chocolate, which by the way, you always, you always find. And then I would just bring bags and chocolate from trips and just put them like in, in the common areas for people to, they would hold some for me. So when I, I came back for chocolate, I said, well, I still have what you brought us from your last trip. <laughs> so yeah, that's maybe something around guilty pleasure, but maybe something that 
people don't know about me and I really enjoy is music. And I love to sing. So, I mean, sing to myself. I do not sing in public or <laughs> have done anything in, in that aspect. But there are some songs that I can just, I know the entire lyrics and I just love to put the music on and just sing. So people find that very, very funny when they ask me about something that we don't know. And I would just say before you ask, I love ABBA, ABBA songs, for instance. Remember you that knew, you knew my next question. Yes. Yeah, no, I was I was absolutely sure, but I love music from the 60s. So Neil Diamond, The Carpenters, Ava, I just love that music. I think it's music I grew up listening because my my dad used to play that music in the car when we were doing road trips. So that kind of stuck along, I guess. Amazing. And I know that you have been all over the world. We mentioned earlier how you have a few citizenships and you've worked and lived all around the globe. What's one new place you want to go? Croatia. Uh, I've never been, we have the family have never been to Croatia and I haven't been there for, not even for work. We do have a business there, so I would love to go there, but I would really love to go with my family. So that's a bit of a destination on our bucket list that we would love to go. A place where we haven't been. And we and we do try to take family vacations together as much as we, we still can. Amazing. I highly recommend if you do make it out there, Montenegro next door if you haven't been. Beautiful. We haven't been there either. Great. Absolutely beautiful. What if you had a week where you had no restrictions and could do anything you wanted? What would you do? I would do all the things I love. So I would take long walks. I would read a nice historical novel, which I love those. It's been a while actually since I, I've done that. I would go to Italy because it's one of my favorite places. I really love that Italian culture and how loud people speak and how fun, how much fun they have together. So yeah, I guess I would just do that. Do everything I really enjoy doing as to fill my free time in Italy. I would do the same. Rome is hands down my favorite city in the world. (laughs) It's a busy and crazy place, but it's quite amazing. It is. What about someone that you would still want to get coffee with? Hmm. Hmm. That's a great question. Get coffee with someone I know or someone I don't know. Anything. 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 Anyone at all. Yeah. Well, there's a, the CEO of Microsoft. I have to say that I really enjoy listening to his podcast and, and reading a couple of books that maybe he has written more, but I've read at least a couple. Satya Nadella. I would really enjoy having a coffee with him and just asking him, how has your career been? What have you learned? What moves you? What, what excites you? I recently heard a podcast between him and David Taylor. It was done on Earth Day. And they together were just amazing and and super interesting what they said and the lessons learned and 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 the importance of of sustainability and not just it was great he ended up actually sharing a few kind of suggestions for for what he sees in leaders you just hear the guy and he's quite amazing he's someone i would really love to just have a coffee with and just have a very informal conversation i'm sure i would learn a ton from it one final question We talked a lot about your own daughters and mentoring others and really just this idea of the next generation. What's a final piece of advice or challenge you'd give to the next generation? I think I would give a few advices, right? That if if I look back and I think about things that I have learned, even through my own mentors and what they have always advised and suggested and through experience and years... I think on one hand, it would be don't shy away from opportunities because many times I see people thinking and rethinking, should I do this? Should I do that? But you know what? Many things are not a one-way door. And sometimes we're just not able to see that, right? So if it doesn't work, you just do something different. You just do something else. But it's it's around take every opportunity and also take risks. And, and, and I think that automatically opens new situations and opportunities for growth and learn and test. So that would be one thing. I would also say be brave, be bold, push yourself outside of your comfort zone, because this is something I I think I've always done is push yourself a bit more, stretch, stretch yourself and see how far can you go and, and you learn along the way. So I would give that advice. I would also say, ask for help. I said that before, but I do believe that asking for help goes a long way. Ask for advice, ask for feedback. 
if you don't know something, just say you don't know. It's absolutely fine. Then go and find the answer or find help. Feedback to me has always been very, very important along my career. I have always asked for feedback and I would encourage the next generation to don't shy away from it because it really what hold us to the ground in terms of our own self-awareness. And without self-awareness, it's very hard to work with organizations and lead organizations. You need to really understand where you stand, how you come across, how you're doing things, what can you improve, what can you further develop, what can you just change or stop doing, right? Or what can you do more of? So I take feedback as an absolutely source of input and information that is super valuable. So, yeah. And then maybe one last line is, is never compromise who you are, right? I mean, be yourself. I think when people ask me for advice because they're going to go through an interview or advice because they're going to be a bit in a difficult situation meeting people that they have never met before, I always say, just be yourself. Because the moment you start trying to be someone you are not, and you try to put up an act and try to choose words that are not your words or act of someone you're not, people will notice, right? It's extremely easy and it consumes so much energy. And then I just don't think it's worth it, right? So I think that is inspired by self-confidence that you just want to be held to the ground on who you are and just use that. So yeah, Ida, I think it was a bit of a long list of things, but I do get this question. (laughs) I always reflect on this because I think this is, it comes from experience and learning. And I think that for everything I have said, I have surely took a wrong turn in the past. And then I realized, oops, okay, this is why you need to ask for feedback. This is why you need to ask for help, right? So it's not just something you read in a book. (laughs) You make the wrong turns and you quickly learn something. And then it's like, okay, next time, now I know. And you start practicing and then it becomes how you work and what you do. That's why we have these podcasts so that we can learn from people like you who have had those experiences and help our listeners hopefully not make some of those same mistakes and be able to learn from the advice of the amazing leaders that we've had on this podcast. So Yolanda, thank you so much. I've had such a fun time getting to know more about you today. And thank you for sharing part of your journey and learnings with us. It's been such a joy to have you on our Learnings with Leaders podcast. Thank you, Ida, for the great questions. And it was very, very pleasant. And that's our show. Like what you heard? please subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. For show notes about this episode, links to things mentioned, or requests for sponsorship, visit pgalums.com slash podcast or email pgalumpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Learning from Leaders is a production of the PNG Alumni Network, a global nonprofit founded by former PNGers committed to community, enrichment, and philanthropy. With more than 45,000 registered members worldwide, the network connects alums through global conferences, local chapters, industry events, and online content. Our nonprofit foundation supports economic empowerment in communities around the world. To find out more, visit pgalums.com. Now here's a preview of next week's episode. Some people get really intimidated by the idea that, you know, the CEO or chairman just sent me an email. I'm not here to judge. I'm here to discuss, brainstorm, be creative, talk about what's possible, better understand what's the best way for us to participate, consistent with our values and our purpose. One of the things that's really powerful is when somebody in my position is transparent enough to say like, look, I don't know everything. I will make a decision. I'll look for the information. And then when we make the decision, I'm gonna hold us accountable. But I, I love an organization full of thinkers, creators, and then people that aren't afraid to be accountable for ideas. That's it for this week. I've been Ida Abdelkani. And I'm still Raman Segel. Thanks for joining Learnings from Leaders, the PNG Alumni Podcast. We'll see you next time.